Thank you for listening to this podcast from Living Hope Church in Skokie, Illinois, featuring the preaching of Pastor Daniel Mann. For more information about our church, please visit us online at livinghopechicago.com. We hope that today's message will encourage you in your relationship with God. One of my favorite coaches is Mike Krzyzewski, who in addition to being the the coach of Duke University, their men's basketball team for nearly four decades, has also coached the U.S. Olympic basketball team for the past 12 years. In July of 2018, uh, he gathered the team for a special meeting. Now, in this group of players were all-star NBA talent like Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and many, many other amazing players. And he wanted to talk to them, not necessarily about shooting or dribbling or things like that, but he wanted to talk to them about how they were going to live their lives together on a daily basis as they prepared to try to win the gold medal in Beijing. Now, when he started talking to them about how they were going to live together on a daily basis as they were seeking to win the gold medal, he called this conversation uh, establishing their standards. Their standards. Now, their standards are those things that they would seek to live up to. And the way that they were going to hold each other accountable for are they living up to the standards of how they expected to live day to day together. So they came up with with a list of things. And I want to say it was nearly about 20 different things. But things like looking each other in the eye when they speak to each other. Things like being on time. Because that shows respect for each other. Things like being unselfish, not thinking of yourself first, but putting the team ahead of yourself. Things like not making excuses. Now, these standards were undergirded. Uh, The purpose for this whole thing of, of making these standards is undergirded by a trip they had taken earlier. When they went to a particular army base and they met three wounded soldiers, Captain DJ Skelton, um, Sergeant Christian Steele, and Captain Scott Smiley. Captain Scott Smiley, in particular, is of interest in our uh, bringing up of the story right now because he had lost his ability to see his vision as a result of. Uh, sustaining wounds while serving our country in Iraq. And as Mike Krzyzewski looked around, and particularly as, as Captain Scott Smiley talked about sustaining this injury and what it cost him to serve our country and how now he could no longer see, but that he would be willing to do it all over again because of the honor and the privilege it is to represent your country, to stand up for your country, to fight for your country. And Mike Krzyzewski is looking around at all of his players, and he sees some of them have tears in their eyes. He sees that some of them have a a very sober, uh, attentive look to them. And he realized that his players were getting the message. And the message that they were getting that day was that it was a lot more. They were involved in a lot more than just merely a a basketball game. 
but that they were going to be representing their country by their attitudes, by their actions, and by their words. Now, certainly it was a game, and and that's what they were there for, but that there was a special honor about representing their country, and that they wanted to conduct themselves in such a way that was appropriate of that high honor. Now, I've never served in our United States military, but I have family, and I know men and women uh, who have and do serve. And I know that those that have served and those that do serve count it a tremendous honor to serve in our military. It is a high honor to represent your country in any capacity. And I'm not seeking to compare uh, playing basketball or some sport in the Olympics representing your country and in serving in the military for your country. We know that those aren't equal. And certainly there's far greater sacrifice and importance to one and the other is much less significant. What I want you to see between those two two things is that they are both, in a sense... One greater, one much lesser, but they are both representing their country. And it is an honor to represent your country, I'm sure, in the Olympics, putting on that USA jersey and representing the United States. And I am sure in a far greater way, it is an honor and a privilege to represent your country by serving in our United States Armed Forces. But the highest and greatest calling is the call of Christ. The call to be a Christian. The call to belong to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And here's a sobering question for you and I to consider today. Is my day-to-day life lived in a way that is worthy of my calling in Christ? Is the way that I live on a day-to-day basis appropriate, befitting, and honoring of the call that I have to Jesus Christ? Am I living worthy of the call that Christ has placed upon me? Now, of course, as we all know, or at least I hope we all know, none of us are worthy to be Christians. And that's not what I'm saying today. Our salvation is entirely by grace. It is totally undeserved. We are not talking about whether we are worthy to be saved. Rather, we are talking about are we living worthy of the salvation that we've been given? Are we living our lives in response to the gift of grace that we've been giving, are we now living our lives in a way that accurately reflects that or that dishonors the gift that we've been given? Are our thoughts, attitudes, words, and actions worthy of someone who is a Christian? Now, after finishing chapter 3, Uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3, I should say, of instruction about their position in Christ, Paul now urges his readers 
to live in a way that is worthy of their calling. So in chapters 1, 2, and 3, he he really establishes who they are in Jesus, their position in Jesus. He talks to them about their spiritual blessings of election and predestination and, and adoption and how they've been revealed the mystery of the ages in Christ, that they've been saved by grace, that they're heirs of the kingdom of God, how that they're no longer Jew and Gentile, but one body, and all these things that are somewhat mystical and spiritual. But in chapter 4, he gets really practical as he urges them to say, in light of who you are spiritually, who you have been made to be inwardly, in light of these blessings that you have been given by grace in Christ, he urges them to live out their lives in a way that is worthy of their calling. Will you look with me at Ephesians chapter 4? I'm going to read a lengthy passage here. We're going to read beginning in verse 1 and all the way down to verse 16. But read it along with me. I'll read it out loud. You just read it there along in the page silently in your mind. Paul says in verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation or the calling wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all, But unto every one of us is given grace, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, And carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together by that and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Here's the message for us today. Based upon who we are in Christ, we should live worthy of our calling as Christians. Based upon our position in Christ, we should live out our daily practical lives in a way that is worthy of of our calling. 
Now, I want to answer a question in the message today. And this question is, what traits, what traits are involved in living worthy of our calling? I would like to suggest two traits as to what it means to live worthy of our calling that we find right here in the Word of God. Number one, living worthy of our calling involves diligently guarding our unity. Living worthy of our calling involves diligently guarding our unity. In verse 3, he says, endeavoring, and that's the idea of to be earnest or diligent, endeavoring, To keep, and the word keep means to guard or watch over. Endeavoring to keep the unity, the word unity means oneness of the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, in the bonds. And the word bonds is the idea of something that which binds together, of peace. The meaning of this is that the Holy Spirit... The third member of the Godhead has united believers together and our oneness, the oneness of the Spirit is seen in verse 4, 5, and 6. That there's one body, that's one, one church body, so to speak, that, that, that we're all a part of. It's not Jew and Gentiles, one humanity in Jesus, one Spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, that's Jesus, one faith, that is the the act of believing, one baptism, Uh, we believe that refers to water baptism, the immersion baptism that every believer is to partake in as an outward profession of their faith, and then one God, Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So that's how believers are united. That's the, that, that's the unity of the Spirit. That, that we're unified in those seven key, basic, fundamental doctrines. And what Paul is emphasizing here in verse 3 is, is that we have been given by God a responsibility to protect and to guard this unity. Now, it's very important. We did not create this unity. The Spirit of God created this unity. But now we have a responsibility of guarding it. And he says we must be diligent about that. Diligently guard the unity so that we're not divided, but unified. That we're not sectioned off from one another, but one in Christ through the Spirit. Now, now how do we do that? How do we guard this unity that we are called upon to diligently guard? Well, he tells us in verse 2 that we do this with all lowliness. And that literally means low-mindedness or humility. That, that, that we don't view ourselves as better than anyone else. And therefore, we're able to have a, a servant mentality because we know that we're not better than any other. The other, he says, with all meekness. And the word meekness gives the idea of submissiveness. Then he says, by being long-suffering, and long-suffering is patience with people, keeping our passion at a distance. In other words, we are slow to anger, not short-fused. We're long-suffering. And then he talks about forbearing with one another in love, or loving forbearance, we might call it. And loving forbearance is is really tolerating, bearing with, even putting up with one another. 
that we're able to make allowances for the faults of of other believers in, in their weaknesses and failings, knowing that we are weak and that we often fail and that people are making allowances for our false our faults it is unworthy of believers to live in disunity that this is is totally inappropriate unbefitting unworthy of people called into the kingdom of Jesus Christ to live in disunity among one another therefore god calls his people to earnestly and diligently guard the unity that the Spirit of God has created. And they do that by these attitudes and actions of low-mindedness, humility, of submissive meekness, of long-suffering and forbearing with one another in love. We are to protect, to guard the unity. About 350 miles from here is Fort Knox, Kentucky, and home of the United States. One of the places in the United States where there's a bullion depository, where a large portion of U.S. gold is located. If you've seen pictures of Fort Knox, Kentucky, you've seen that fortress-like structure um, that... um, where lies the, the gold vault lined with granite walls, protected by blast-proof doors weighing 20 tons. The facility is ringed with fences and guarded by the United States Mint Police. The depository premises are within the site of Fort Knox, a U.S. Army post, allowing the Army to provide additional protection. The depository is protected by layers of physical security, alarms, video cameras, microphones, minefields, barbed razor wire, electric fences, heavily armed guards, and the Army's units based at Fort Knox. Anyone looking to go and to try to break in? (laughs) The Army units based at Fort Knox total 30,000 soldiers with their associated tanks, armored personnel carriers, attack helicopters, and artillery. There's even an escape tunnel from the lower level of the gold vault to be used by someone who has been accidentally locked in and for security reasons, no visitors are allowed inside the depository grounds. I would say that they are diligently guarding the U.S. Bullion Depository. You know what? We guard what is important to us, what we value, what is precious, even what we love. You lock your doors at night. I'm sure you do because you are trying to guard and protect your family And you know what is precious to Jesus? Do you know what was on His mind just before He was going to the cross as He was praying what many describe as His great high priestly prayer in John 17? He prayed for the unity of His disciples and the unity of all believers. It's precious to Him. Selfish attitudes, actions that are selfish can cause terrible damage to the unity of 
Living Hope Church. We must not be seeking our own way. We shouldn't allow personality differences to cause disunity. And instead of focusing on how different we are in personality or in, in other more um, less important ways, we should rather think of all that we have in common, even beginning with Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, 5, and 6, how that we have the same Lord and the same God and the same Spirit, that we're part of the same body of Christ, that we've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we've been baptized, and that we have the same hope of spending eternity with Him. We must avoid becoming comparative and competitive towards one another. We are not being long-suffering and we are not being forbearing if we're quick to criticize and be negative. You know, we might even have some minor doctrinal disagreements. You know, I know good people uh, that disagree on some things uh, in, in Scripture that are not of, uh, of, of the highest importance. And there's room, even in a local church, for doctrinal disagreements about secondary matters and things that aren't of essential nature. And we must not allow that which is secondary to become primary. Now ask yourself this question, have I said, have I done, or have I taken part in anything that might cause disunity in this local church? That may be a somewhat of a negative question, but an important one for us to ask. Here's a positive and equally important question for us to ask. What have I done over the past few weeks to diligently guard the unity of the church? Who have I called that I might have offended? Who have I written a note to that maybe is discouraged? Who have I prayed for uh, that was facing a, a difficult time? Who have I reached out to that maybe is new and, um, and, and not yet well assimilated and acclimated to the, the life of our church? You see, living worthy of our calling in Christ involves diligently guarding our unity. But secondly and lastly, living worthy of our calling involves exercising our spiritual gifts. Diligently guarding our unity, that is what it means to live worthy of our calling. But then exercising our spiritual gifts. You know, in, in verse 4 through 6, Paul talked about our oneness, our unity, those seven things. But in verse 7, he begins to describe our diversity. And he says that every believer has been given grace. They've been given a spiritual gift, a supernatural ability by God to serve Him. And it's interesting, and we we don't have time to develop this, but in verse 8 through 10, uh, he describes these spiritual gifts as the spoils of the victory that Jesus won when He conquered death rose from the dead and ascended back to heaven. And the idea is a a picture of a conquering king who defeats the enemy and he takes the enemy's spoils and possessions and distributes them to his people. That Jesus 
came into this world. He descended into the world by being born. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. Defeated sin and death and hell. And He ascended back to heaven. And when He ascended, He gave gifts unto His own. And now He rules the universe, filling all things, as as verse 10 tells us. And so Jesus, as a matter of the spoils of the victory that He won by defeating death, has given a specific gift to every believer whereby they might serve Him in His kingdom. But not only has He given specific gifts to every believer, He has also given gifts to the church as a whole, or or, or gifts that everyone benefits from. That's like a collective gift. You know, when me and Amber were kids, Amber's my sister, when me and my sister were growing up, my parents would get us individual gifts for Christmas, but, but we would also get one, normally at least one big gift that was kind of a, a joint gift of ours. And it, one year we got a puppy. And it wasn't Amber's or mine. It was ours together. Another year maybe we, we got something else. Maybe a, uh, an air hockey table or, or something like that. And Jesus gives us specific gifts. But He also gives us collective gifts. Or gifts that are shared. That, that's to all. And He describes that in verse 11. That He gave some apostles and some prophets. I don't have time to develop this today, and this is not the thrust of my message. It's for a different time. If you have questions about what I'm about to say, I'd be glad to help answer those for you later concerning my belief and the belief of our church. But but we believe, I believe, and our church will be led to in this way that, that apostles and prophets were foundation gifts to the church. So in other words, that in in the literal sense there are no more apostles. And there are no more prophets. There are those that speak the Word of God that's been revealed in Scripture. And that is what I'm doing today um, in the sense of, of, of telling what God has already revealed. But there's no new revelation being given by God. No new prophetic words being given. And no apostles who have seen with their eyes the risen Christ. And so we believe those were foundation gifts. You had the early apostles like Peter and James and John, and even the apostle Paul was given the office of the apostle as he encountered the risen Christ. But that was for the foundation of the church. But we believe that as verse 12, or excuse me, verse 11 goes on, that there are some evangelists and some pastor teachers, that those are present and ongoing gifts that God's given to the church. And an evangelist would be one that is a missionary, that, that goes into an unevangelized area or a place where the gospel, the good news, has not been widely proclaimed, and they go in as a missionary to evangelize. And the pastor teacher is actually not describing two different um, gifts there, but but one, the pastor teacher, the pastor teacher or the shepherd of the flock that God has given a, a pastor teachers 
that those who would be, if you can think of it this way, an evangelist is one that reaches the unsaved, that tells the good news of the gospel to the lost so that they might come to saving faith in Jesus. And primarily, the pastor-teacher is given for the shepherding and the leading and the teaching of those who have become believers, who are saved. So evangelist reaches the lost. The pastor-teacher, by and large, teaches the saved. That's an oversimplification, but I think it will help us understand uh, the distinction between the two. So God has given leaders to the church. He has given evangelists to win those to Christ. He's given pastors and teachers to disciple and to develop and to teach and to guide those who know Christ as Savior. And the purpose of this is found in verse 12, for the perfecting or for the completing of the saints, for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. So here's the idea. That, that God has given leaders to the church in order to help to equip them. To do the work that God has given them to do. And that God's overall purpose is the building up of the body of Christ. Where every person who knows Him is serving and using their gift that builds up the body. So to accomplish this, God gifts leaders with the ability to equip. And they equip those who are part of the church, those believers. They equip those believers. And once those believers are equipped, those believers in turn use their spiritual gifts. And what happens is the body of Christ grows, it matures, it becomes strong, and it goes about fulfilling the mission that Jesus has given it. Now, this maturity is further expressed in verses 13 through 16 that we read, that God's purpose here is that we would all come to the unity of the faith, that we would become to look like and act like the Lord Jesus Christ. That we wouldn't be, verse 14, like children who are tossed to and fro with every kind of wind of doctrine, but that we would know the truth and speak the truth and grow to maturity in Christ. And the way that we grow to maturity in Christ is as every believer uses the ability that God has given them to serve others. And by that, everyone is benefited and everyone begins to grow into the likeness of Christ. You know, the other day I attended a meeting at Carly School and the principal was meeting with a lot of parents. It was kind of an introductory meeting for next year. I didn't get to go to it last year. And next year, Colby and Carly will be in the same school. So I I went to this meeting and and it was interesting because the principal was discussing how their school worked. And he started introducing people from the staff and he started talking about the staff and how that the staff works together to develop students. You know, of course you have the, the teachers who are the ones primarily instructing the students in their main subjects like math and reading, but you also have a host of other staff members and employees who are vital to the, the work that the school is doing. It was interesting, the principal talked about the school nurse He talked about recess supervisors. He talked about specialty teachers like the music teacher, the art teacher, the drama teacher, the the, uh, PE teacher. Then he talked about other 
people who are a part of the, of the staff. Those like bus drivers and janitors and receptionists and nutritionists. All of them have a unique way that they contribute to helping the children in their education. You know, there may be an incredibly gifted music teacher, but she may be clueless about how to operate the school bus. You know, the bus driver and the music teacher have different abilities, but both of them help the children. There may be an excellent nurse who can treat the kids and, 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 and give them answers when they're not feeling well, but she may be clueless about whole notes and half notes and quarter notes in the music class. So both the nurse and the music teacher help the children. There may be a, a, a fantastic receptionist in the front office who can handle the, the day-in, day-out questions that come into the office and to greet guests. And, but she may be, or he, may be clueless about how to fix a leaky faucet. So both the receptionist and the janitor help the children. You see, each staff, each employee has a place because they are needed. And this is what I want to say, and I'm almost finished. That if you're a Christian, if you truly belong to Jesus Christ, God has given you a gift. You are gifted by Him. You have an ability that helps other people grow in the likeness of Jesus. And I want to say three things about the gift you've been given on a practical nature. Number one, it's accept. Accept that you have been given a gift by God to help others grow. Do not believe the lie the devil wants you to believe that you are not important to the work of God. Do not believe that because you don't stand up here like I do and preach the sermon on Sunday that you are not vital to the kingdom of God. You have been given an ability. Accept it. Number two, allow yourself to be equipped for the work that God has given you. You've been given an ability. Now allow yourself to be equipped to use that building. And then number three, engage. Engage regularly in using your gift to serve the body of Christ. You know, a school nurse is wonderful, but if she only shows up twice a year, she's really not much use to the school. And you and I have been given an ability and a gift by God, and we can't just sit on that. We can't just neglect it. We must engage with it and use it regularly. I started talking to you about the men's Olympic basketball team. And when they met those wounded soldiers, they had a fresh understanding of what an honor it was for them to put on that jersey that said USA and to represent their country. And it even affected their words, their actions, their attitudes, and how they live their daily life. And I say to you that knowing who we are in Christ should have a far greater impact on how we live our daily lives. And living worthy involves diligently guarding the unity that the Spirit of God has created. And we protect that because it's precious. And it involves exercising our spiritual gifts. Perhaps you're not living worthy of a Christian because quite simply you're not a Christian. You can never live the life 
that is worthy of the calling of Christ until you have received Christ. And if you come to Christ as a sinner, He has promised that He will save you. That you can be a part of His kingdom. And if you don't know Him, we invite you today to repent and believe on Him. Maybe God is speaking to you as a Christian today about your role in the unity of the church. Are you diligently protecting the unity? Or are you unintentionally harming the unity of the church? Or maybe God is speaking to you about exercising your spiritual ability. Are you exercising your gift faithfully? Or are you neglecting it? How is God speaking to you right now? I encourage you just to trust and obey, to yield to Him. If He is speaking to you about repenting of your sin, believing on Him, do that today. If He's speaking to you about protecting the unity of the church and being proactive to guard the unity, obey Him. If He's speaking to you about engaging with your spiritual gift and not neglecting it, obey Him. If you committed your life to Jesus Christ or made a spiritual decision, we would like to rejoice with you. Please connect with us on our website, livinghopechicago.com. We hope you'll join us next time for another encouraging message from God's Word.